If you've been with us, you know that we're cooking along pretty good here through the book of Revelation, and uh, we are uh, at, at kind of a, a, a critical point this morning. We'll talk about that in a moment, but, but, but what we're doing this, in this study, uh, this perhaps more unique, is we're reading it as well. We always try to get through the word, but we're going to actually read it, and then we're going to talk about it. So I'm going to read chapters 12 and 13 today. It is a lot. I'm giving you the warning now, and then we will, uh, as the Lord leads, uh, work through this text today. This is what the word says, Revelation 12, chapter 12, verse 1. A great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant, and she cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. And then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his heads. His tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child the moment it was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the desert in a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1260 days. And there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole earth astray. He was hurled to the earth, and his angels with him. And then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives so much as to shrink back from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury, because he knows that his time is short. When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. The woman was given the two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the desert where she would be taken care of for a time, times, and half a time out of the serpent's reach. And then from his mouth, the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away in the torrent. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing up the river that the dragon had spewed out of its mouth. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to take war against, to make war against the rest of her offspring, those who obey God's commands and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And the dragon stood on the shore of the sea, and he saw a beast coming out of the sea. He had ten horns and seven heads with ten crowns on his horns, and on each head was a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like those of a bear and a mouth like a lion. The dragon gave this beast his power and his throne and great authority. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was astonished to follow the beast and follow the beast. Men worshipped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast and asked, Who is like the beast? Who can stand against him? Who can make war? The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise his authority for 42 months. He opened his mouth to blaspheme God 
and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. And he was given power to make war against the saints and to conquer them. And he was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. All the inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all those whose names have not been written in the book of life belonging to the lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. He who has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity he will go. If anyone is to be killed with a sword, with a sword he will be killed. This calls for patience and endurance and faithfulness on the part of the saints. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb, but he spoke like a dragon. He exercised the authority of the first beast on his behalf, and he made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast, whose fatal wound had been healed. And he performed great and miraculous signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth and in the full view of men. Because of the signs he was given power to do on behalf of the first beast, he deceived the inhabitants of the earth. He ordered them to be set up, to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword yet lived. And he had given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that it could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. He also forced everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on his right hand and on his forehead so that no one could buy or sell unless he had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of his name. This calls for wisdom. If anyone has insight, let him calculate the number of the beast because it's a man's number. His number is 666. Pray with me if you would. Father God, as we come into your presence today and acknowledging fully that you are God and we are not, we ask that you would give us wisdom that we would understand your word, that you would be our teacher, that we would need no man to instruct us because you will instruct us in our heart and that we'd be obedient and compliant to the things that you teach to us. Now as we uh, explore your word and, and, and try to apply it to our lives, help us to know the day, help us to know the seasons, and help us to see you and the work that you're doing in it. May you be glorified as your people lean upon you for wisdom. Give us minds to understand, uh, hearts to believe, and lives with the courage to live it out. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So I, I said this is a, um, kind of a tipping point in the book. We've been rolling pretty quickly, and there's lots of imagery and more imagery to come in the book of Revelation. But here we are at this critical moment. A couple of things I want to take note of is we are right about halfway through the book of Revelation right now which is pretty remarkable because we've covered a lot of stuff already. And I think we maybe have some understanding, and you probably heard some things today in the text that you go, I've heard this before. I know this. People, even who never go to church, know some of this stuff. They've never read the Bible, know some of this stuff. It's worked its way into our culture and our, in all of our contexts in some way. But there's, uh, but there's a tipping point here being had. One of the questions we've been asking, I've been asking, maybe you have as well, is when is Revelation happening? You know, John is on Patmos. He's got the revelation from God. We've taken these journeys with him as he's been called up into heaven and seeing the splendor of God and that God is in charge of all these things. But uh, we're trying to cement this. Is this in the past? Is it in the present? Or is it in the future? One of the reasons right now that Revelation is popular and the future is popular is because people are so uncertain about what's next, right? We can't see beyond November in this country. That's just this country, folks. There's a whole world full of people who have a whole world full of questions. And for many people, I saw someone that posted something this week and they said, I realize today that every day is the end of the world for somebody. 
I thought, boy, that's true. We don't see it every day, but when our day comes, when we think, oh my God, the world has ended, the world as we know it, all of a sudden, uh, it's the end of the world for us. But maybe not in the way we think. This is a a pivotal, not just because it's halfway through the book of Revelation, but also because of what begins to be revealed. We've had the glory of God in heaven, but I want to pick up right where we left off last week, which is this last line in 1119. It says this, Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and within his temple was seen the ark of his covenant. You'll recall the Ark of the Covenant was the thing that Israel held as most holy. They had carried it with them. They had been, David had been terrified of it. I don't know if you know that, but at one point David sent the Ark away. He's like, I don't even want that near me because it destroys things. I mean, and then finally he realizes, I want that. <laughs> and he, he celebrates and famously dances naked or in a loincloth, whichever you prefer, uh, in front of the Ark because he's overjoyed. He's trying to just worship as God enters Jerusalem. But this is the place. And I said to you, last thing we said last week was that in this moment, when they, the temple was torn when Christ is crucified and the temple is open but it says that the heavenly temple is opened and there's this moment where you can see Mike said it this morning what? the promises of God that's what the Ark of the Covenant held it reminded people it was the artifacts the things that God made promises you'll be a holy people I'll never destroy you again But in this moment, this world, earthly temple was destroyed. And I would say in two steps, when Christ is crucified, the curtains opened. In 70 AD, the temple is destroyed. Jesus said, this will not stand. See these beautiful buildings? They will all be nothing. And so in that moment, then Revelation that John's, you know, sharing with us in 11, he's like, and we saw the heavenly ark of the covenant. It could be seen from where he was, they could see, he could see the real thing. Okay, so we pick up right there. God's going to do a great thing, and this is why this is pivotal, because we get into this um, new thing that God is revealing. The book of Revelation is about Revelation, right? Um, and he's going to reveal it to his church. So let's pick up now in verse, chapter 12, verse 1. A great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven. This would now be the third vision that John is having. You recall the first vision was Christ behind him announcing himself and saying, write a letter to the churches. The second vision was he, he said, and I looked and behold, there was a door open in heaven and, he, and the same one said, come up here. And he was invited into heaven to see the glory of God. And now there's this third, a great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven. By the way, that's not written in stone. That's just how I've been reading the book. It seems this is a new thing that God is revealing to John. A great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven. By the way, today, I think I have it up here, is uh, a woman, a dragon, and a child. That's the point, right? A woman, the dragon, and a child. And so it says, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars was on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain because she was about to give birth. And I have a first question for you today. Who is this woman? Right? Who is this woman? What's happening in, you think Israel? A bad guess, Michael. Yeah, we're going to talk about it. Yeah. Uh, so uh, the woman's going to give birth. Um, there is uh, there's a, a really famous uh, birth in the Bible, a really famous woman who gave birth in the Bible. Does anybody remember who it was? Huh? Mary. Yeah, it might be Mary. You know, I'm not saying the woman's Mary, by the way, Israel, right? We're going to talk about it. But it might be there's this thing. Who is this woman? Um, 
Here's some uh, potential. Let's read about the woman real quick. What does it say about her? It says that she was clothed with the sun, the moon was under her feet, and the crown of 12 stars was upon her head. I don't know if you've ever been into a Roman Catholic uh, church, but they often have all that imagery, including on the serpents in Mary. That's how they see that. By the way, what do we think about Mary? just want to take a moment and ask that question. Because here's what happens, and I have a lot of Roman Catholic friends I have a conversation with about this, right? But Roman Catholics venerate Mary. They would say they don't worship, but they venerate her. I get uncomfortable with the way they speak about her. But um, what we know of Mary is this. I'll say this. Let me get this out. Roman Catholics venerate Mary. Protestants ignore Mary. So if we're going to cast aspersions, we've got to own our part of that. What are we doing? Because what we know about Mary, she was a faithful servant of God. She was a child with child who is not yet married in a culture that would have thrown her whole future away over that. Her husband should have put her out because she was clearly unfaithful, but she was not. And this young woman, I mean, what I think the historians say, like 13, 14 at the time, believed God. And it was kind of her as righteousness that she believed God, like all the pantheon of the saints. So... There's this great narrative being had. So one potential is it's Mary. But what else do we know? And Mike, you're on to something here about this. This story of the sun and the moon under her feet and the crown of 12 stars. This is the vision that Je- Je- um, jo- uh, Joseph had for his brothers, Israel. Remember Joseph in the technicolor dream coat, right? I mean, he says, you are going to all bow down and worship me, or not worship me, but bow down to me because I'm going to rule over you. And it made all of his older siblings mad. It was true. Remember, God preserved the sun and the moon. Who would that be? Mom and dad, his parents even. Remember when he invites them back? He says, sin for for your father. It's his father, right? Because God is going to do a work through this uh, last, the, the, the 12th son. But interestingly, there's 12. Where else do we know that number 12 from the book of uh, Revelation? It's been 12 tribes in Israel and 12 apostles. And there's 12 stars. So there's all these things kind of aligning what God is doing. And it's a promise to his people. So here's some things we can throw out here. It could be Mary. There's been people who made the case that it's faith itself. That this is, the woman is faith. And she's going to give birth to the church, the believers, right? There's some people who um, would say that it's the church itself. And I've read all these things. Um, and then there's this faithful Israel, that not just Joseph in his dream and the way God promised things, but that they saw that there was, that, that, that there was something coming. Um, someone asked me, what do you think about the 144,000? Like, we talked about that. What is that, you know? But there were people in Israel believing in Messiah, even though they didn't know. They hadn't seen, right? And you'll recall, what does Jesus accuse the Pharisees and the teachers of the law for? The Messiah is here and you're ignoring him. You're not even of God, because if you, if you were, you would see it. The kingdom is here. So, and then, so that's the um, fourth. Let me see if I got another. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, so what's the answer? Uh, yes. <laughs> no, I'm not trying to cheat. I think probably there's a case he made that this is Mary, but it's Israel and her faithfulness, right? That it's, and we're going to talk about some of the other things. Okay, fair enough. Let's move on. Um, verse 3. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his heads. And his tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that, uh, 
he might devour her child the moment it was born. I want us to see a couple things about this dragon. I'm going to ask the question, who's the dragon? Well, in this case, we're going to find out in a minute, right? We read it. We know who the dragon is. But I want you to see the totality of the war being had here. That there was this great promise of God that the covenant, that God's covenant was being shown from heaven. And in this moment, there was an enemy of God who was serrated. He just waited. Can you imagine, just, I want you to let that imagery work for a minute. This, this uh, red dragon that is waiting for a mother to give birth. And what do we know about children being born? They're the most vulnerable people on the planet. I mean, I, I don't know what you would think about leaving a baby, like, in the woods, but can you imagine a creature just waiting for the moment? As soon as I get a chance, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to consume it. I'm going to destroy it. So we have to see that great battle is being had, you know, before you kind of, we're going to move quickly through this. It's wild, but that there's this enemy. What else do we know about this dragon? It says that a third of the stars were swept out of the sky and flung to the earth. The dragon stood and waited. There were crowns on his head, seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns. You know where that imagery comes from? Daniel, the book of Daniel. Some of you studied that last year, right? The book of Daniel, there's this prophetic vision about these beasts that have these same qualities. And so this is a combination of all those beasts. You can see the imagery here in Revelation. And waiting for the moment. Now check this out then. Verse 5. She gave birth to a son. By the way, earlier it said she is going to have a child, but didn't say what the child was going to be, a boy, a girl, or what. And then here we find out she gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. And so, gonna, so who is the child? Jesus. Yeah, this is the Sunday school answer. It's Jesus. Wait, who is the book of Revelation about? Jesus. Yeah, we want it to be about our lives and the end times, but it's about Jesus and what Jesus has done in the world and who God is and what God has said is true. But here's the moment, this holy moment where Jesus is born. What is radical about this story about, of Jesus is this. His whole life is skipped. The, all the things that we love to talk about with Jesus, how he came to earth in the form of a child, was born into a manger, you know, the whole thing, the whole life, the death on the cross, everything. And the, the story of Revelation to John is, and we're going to get, come back to the timeline. But the story of Revelation of John is that the child was born and snatched up and put on his father's throne. Like in an instant, those things happened. And it's like, wow, none of the other stuff. Okay, let's just stop a minute and talk timelines. Uh, what do we know? Um, when is this happening? What do we know for a fact about John? He knew Jesus. He saw the manifestation. You remember John is the one who wrote the gospel, John, where he says, I'm the beloved disciple. I'm reclining. He was at the last supper when Jesus said, this is my body, take and eat, right? And so John is inextricably interwoven here with the story of Christ. He knows the story. He could have gone on, but, he, but in this vision, he's given this child was born. The enemy wanted to destroy him, the dragon, and then he was snatched up and put on the throne of God. All in an instant. I just think that's really interesting. We can't miss that John knows. So in fact, in John's own life, this had happened. But in the vision he's seeing, he sees it happening. What is John getting here about the story of Christ? What are we getting here about the story of Christ? A bigger context. A longer narrative. 
lest John think that it was all about this generation and this thing happening right now in this place in Jerusalem, all of a sudden he sees, whoa, this has been heaven's glory. This has been the throne room of God. This has been the eternal tabernacle being revealed to the earth and all the imagery. And by the way, we have to know that if, the, if you're reading this and you're a Jewish person, you get the imagery here. You know the story of Daniel. You don't have to be told that's Daniel. You're like, oh, this is what Daniel was talking about. All these things being revealed through John, uh, by Jesus, through John, to the churches in Asia Minor. They see these things and they're like, they would get it. This is it. He is Messiah. But look at what God does. He was snatched up and sat on his throne. Okay, so now we'll get back into some more of the story here. The woman fled to the desert, a place prepared for her by God where she was to be taken care of for 1,260 days. And there was a great war in heaven. And this is where the book kind of works back around and says, okay, what happened? How did this happen? There was a great war. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But the dragon was not strong enough. And one thing I think that we have to take from the text is we act as if the enemy is in charge. I can't even get off on this right now. But we act as if the enemy is in charge of the world. I've, I've had people stand on my porch and say, well, you know, the, right now the enemy's in charge of this place, so there's nothing we can do. I mean, we just, just got to. It's like, what? Look at what the word says. This, the dragon wasn't strong enough is what the word says. And they lost their place in heaven. Look in verse 9. The great dragon was thrown down. This ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. What is the devil's job? What is it? To lead people away from God by any means necessary. Whatever you can do to deny that there's a creator, deny that you're made, deny that you, you owe your existence to someone beside yourself, that you're not a random particle, a random chance happening. You didn't come into your own consciousness by magic but God knit you together for purpose. If, if the devil can distract us from the truth of who God is, he feels like he's winning. He's not strong enough, and he's cast out so he can deceive the whole world. Um, okay, we're, we're, gonna, we're gonna keep on because we're gonna come back to this in a minute. He was then hurled to the earth and his angels with him, and now we hear a loud voice giving a great profession in heaven. Now has come, what? The salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God. All the things we've been waiting for are now realized is a testimony from heaven. For the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. I, I can't help but touch this just for a minute, but you remember these stories in the Old Testament how uh, Satan would be looking for bad people that are gonna deny God. And the most famous ones in the book of Job, right? Where he says, uh, you know, have you considered Job? And he's like, uh, you know, he'll deny you, he'll deny you. Like this fight's happening in God's heaven, in God's sanctuary. And so this, look at, it says, the accuser of our brothers and sisters, the one who is constantly accusing, has been thrown down. Has been thrown down. I struggle with this idea of not good enough didn't do enough, right? Not capable enough. And I've had wise brothers and sisters say, well, you know, praise God, you know your limitations, right? That's why we have a savior. You don't have to be perfect. And yet we find ourselves, and it's like, I wonder, is that voice the voice of the accuser and not our God who says, I am enough. 
I have done it. The work is finished. This great accuser who night and day stood in heaven accusing the people of God has been hurled down. Look, verse 11. They, those who are being talked about by the accuser, overcame him. How? Here it is, church, again. By the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. We have heard this before in the, God, in the book of Revelation, right? It's the blood of Christ. It's those he purchased. Remember, those who were wrapped in his blood and their testimony. They stand firm to the end. I believe the gospel. Oh, you think you're so special because you're a Christian? No, I believe the gospel. You think you're better than me? No, <laughs> I believe the gospel. There's a God who loves you. Because it says, they overcame by the blood of the lamb and by the word of the testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink back from death. What's the word say? I think it's in Job 2. It says, though he slay me, yet I love him. Yet I have him. Therefore rejoice, verse 12, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. By the way, remember that bird said, whoa, whoa, whoa. We've had two. This might be the third. On earth, right now, the devil amongst us. And he is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. I told you that um, the... Uh, this opens up a bigger narrative. Here's an interesting thing that we see here in Revelation. It calls him what? The ancient serpent, right? If you ever told the story of the Garden of Eden, people often say, um, Satan said, right? But then some of us are nerds and we're like, wait, wait, it says the serpent said. So you don't know. It's one of God's creatures, but then here we have this kind of tie back from the very last book of the Bible to the very first book of the Bible saying that ancient serpent, what? The deceiver. Did he really say not to eat from the tree or to touch it? No, that's not what he said. Were you listening to the rules? They were simple. Don't eat it. And then begins the fall of man. What happens? Look, he is filled with fury the enemy of god rages in this world why because this time is short mike said that earlier no matter what we're going through god will keep his promises the time is short the season of suffering is short what can man do to me right like the bible is full of these promises i i have god what can a mere mortal do what does this life mean when I have the Savior, the creator of all things on my side? Verse 13, when the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. The woman who was given the two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the desert where she would be taken care of for a time, times, and half a time out of the serpent's reach. And then from his mouth the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away with a torrent. But the earth swallowed the, wo wo swallowed, uh, the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed from its mouth. And then the dragon was uh, enraged at the woman and went off to make war against the rest of her offspring, those who obey God's commands and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Okay, so now we're going to get back to this whole conversation. 
for a moment with the dragons. Then we're going to get into the beasts, right? And so now we have this dragon that knows his time is short, and it's, it's failed. It's, I mean, think about the delusion that this dragon actually believed that was going to defeat God's purposes. <laughs> like, you know, they really, they really believed. He really believed that was going to happen. But we have this kind of chasing after. I said to you, could be Mary, could be Israel, could be the church. Why? Because there was a great persecution that broke out against the church. It was happening. You remember what happened with Jesus himself, right? Crucify him, crucify him. That was the crowd saying that. That was the Jewish people saying that. Crucify him. Give us Barabbas instead. But crucify this, this one, right? That Jesus himself been turned over by a sin-soaked world. We must know. I mean, in the imagery of Barabbas, he's the first guilty man set free from death by Christ. Literally. If anyone in the crowd didn't know it, Barabbas knew it. I should die, but he's going to die, and I get to go free. In this evil culture where the enemy, you can just imagine the, the, the sensation of finally the world, the uh, antichrist, those who would say God is not who God says he is, are going to win. And Christ submits himself to death on the cross. Well, a great persecution had broke out against the church already. The believers were already. And what happens when Jesus shows up after resurrection? They're closing their doors for what? Fear of the Jewish people. They're terrified they're going to come after us. The church, those who are believing, Israel's faithful. Then there's this great torrent. There's another connection here, though. I don't know if you catch it, but whenever, uh, in the story of Mary, when she's pregnant, and she's like, whatever you want to do, it says that she ran away for a season as well. Right? So there's this imagery we have consistency. Where did she go to Elizabeth's house, right? And John flips over in his mother's womb. My Savior is here. Uh, and there's this beautiful connection between Jesus and John the Baptist. Different John, by the way. Um, and, and, uh, but, and Mary stays there, it says, until the time is right for her to give birth. So these narratives kind of connect. Um, again, there's shadows. I don't know if you've ever... Um, the book of Revelation, I've, I've been, you know, studying it with you. And uh, you ever seen those uh, things? That are, they're like those pictures that are really hard to see. They look like squiggly lines or nothing or whatever. And then if you stare at them long enough, you see something. You know what I'm talking about? I think they're called like stereograms or whatever. Um, I think I actually have one. If, oh, you can't see it. Our screens aren't going to help us this morning. But yeah, they look like that. And, and actually, when I saw that one, I, I looked it up. So like, what's that thing called? Oh, a stereogram. Okay. And I clicked that one. And... Uh, then I'm like, that ain't even nothing. And just to test it again, I went ahead and stared at it for a minute, and whew, there it was. I might send it out to you this week in the email. But, uh, that's kind of how it reminds me. But you've got to look through to see what God's doing. Now, I'm not saying you make stuff up, because that's dangerous. You've got to check things in Scripture. But, but you have to be able to look at it long enough to go, oh, could be Mary, could be the church, could be faithful Israel. Definitely God's promises. And I'm not trying to be wishy-washy, but there is a, a thread through that we ought to recognize and honor God in. This great torrent that floods the earth and that, or that tries to wipe uh, um, the woman out, that, whether it be the church, the new church, before the temple destruction or even after. We're going to get some more historical um, kind of tie-ins now, okay? 
Because I, I don't want to leave all this all in imagery and go, oh, look at the dragon and the beast and all that. Because there's so much wonder about it right now. I, you, right now, you can go out and have a conversation with the mark of the beast with anybody, and they'll have the conversation with you. Whatever they believe, they'll talk to you about the mark of the beast. Like, yeah, yeah, let's talk about that. What does it mean? You know? The dragon stood on the shore of the sea, having been defeated again from doing his purpose. One more thing I've got to say about the woman. You'll recall that Jesus, on the cross, said to John what? This is your mother. And to John, or to, to, to Mary, this is your son. It, what? This John, you're going to care for her. You're, you're going to have a place for her. Keep her safe. You're responsible for my mother. Which raises a whole bunch of questions we don't have time to get into. But that's what happened, right? Jesus on the cross. Care for his mother. Mary and his brothers came to Jesus early in his ministry. Can't get in. There's too many people in the building. They go, uh, hey, your mother and brother's outside. What does Jesus say? Who are my mother and my brothers and my sisters? What does he say? They're outside. No, that's not what he says. No. He says, whoever does the will of my father is my mother, my brother, and my sisters. Right? So there's this completeness in the narrative that we don't get to just set on one thing, that it's faithfulness. It's uh, Mary's faithfulness for sure in her role, but Israel's faithfulness in believing Messiah's coming. It's the church's faithfulness in though they might die, they needn't be afraid. The letters were written to the churches in Asia Minor. Bad times are coming, those seven letters that Jesus had uh, transcribed for them. All right, so let's read about it. And I saw a beast coming out of the sea. And by the way, the proper reading there is probably, and the dragon saw a beast coming out of the sea, right? But there's a beast coming out of the sea, and he had ten horns and seven heads with ten crowns on his horns, and on each head was a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like those of a bear and a mouth like that of a lion. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and, his, and great authority. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was astonished and followed the beast. Men worshipped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast, and he also worshipped the beast and asked, and they also worshipped the beast and asked, who is like the beast? Who can war against the beast? Now we have to get into some historical context for John. There was a great persecution against the church. I've said it at least twice already in the series that John had been threatened with being boiled in oil already. He was probably on the island in isolation, right? Or he was running, one or the other. He was either in prison there or fleeing there. But his life was very much in danger. Who, who, is, who is coming after him? The Holy Roman Empire, right? There's all kinds of tie-ins we can get into here. But you remember that um, whenever they say, should we pay taxes? Jesus goes, show me a coin. Whose picture's on it? And they're like, Caesar's. And he goes, what? Render to Caesar's, what's Caesar's? And to God, what's God's? You give him your money, you give me your, my image. <laughs> that you have. You give him your money, you give me your life, right? And, um, and there was this idea that um, whenever, Israel, uh, whenever Israel was trying to get Jesus to be uh, condemned by um, Caesar, they said, he's making a front against your kingdom because who is greater than you? Who can stand up to you? And you can hear now, if you look into this, th this is pretty clear imagery, I, I believe, for, for Rome. The 10 cities on 10 hills, the 10 crowns, and, and the, each of the Caesars who would come to rule. 
And so it says there's all these, and the dragon gave the beast his power, and so there's this power of dominion over Christianity, and the, gave him uh, great authority. And one of the heads seemed to have had fatal wound, but the wound had been healed. So that's very likely the Roman persecution of the church of Israel. Israel, the temple's destroyed, and then uh, now everything's kind of being laid waste because who can stand against it? Who can stand against it? The whole world was astonished and followed the beast, and men said, who is like the beast, and who can make war against it? As much as we kind of imagine modern-day warfare, there was nothing they could have imagined that could have defeated Rome. Nothing. They were undefeatable, um, right? So everyone believed. The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies. One of the things was... Um, uh, Caesar is Lord, right? You, you bend a knee to Caesar. And to exercise authority for 42 months. He opened his mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and to those who live in heaven. So there's three things happening. The, the beast opens his mouth to blaspheme God, right? To deny God his right place. To slander God's name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. He was given power to make war against the saints and to conquer them. By the way, notice that, that it was God's decision to give power that they would conquer the saints. And he was given authority over every, here it is, tribe, people, language, and nation. We've heard that language over and over again. In heaven, there'll be people from every tribe, language, people, and nation. Um, and I just want to say for, uh, just stop for a second and say that every, that we are all sinners. But this becomes very clear here, that every tribe, every people, every language, every nation is falling uh, victim to the temptation to, be, to deny God. So as much as I like to say to you, there's going to be redeemed from every nation, and there will be, there's going to be deniers in every nation. There's going to be spiritual warfare in every nation. Everywhere you go, everyone you see, no matter you know, what is happening there, there's going to be people there who are being led astray by God's enemy. All the inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast. Now this is, it becomes inevitable. They will bow, bow the knee. But look at this. All except whose names are all, let me read it right, all whose names have not been written in the book of life belonging to the lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. Um, and that's just a different way of saying everyone's going to bend a knee except those whose names are written in the book of life. If that was a temptation. No matter who you were, you were going to bend a knee to Caesar, you were going to agree, you were going to, you know, unless your name is written in the book of life. This is written to the church, right? That they're going to stand strong and not submit. But look at what it says. The lamb who was slain, and again, this is going to be a great big context, from the creation of the world. The lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. Now, I already said, John in his life saw Jesus crucified. He was there. You know, John, this is your mother, Mary, this is your son. Uh, and yet, John here is being told to Revelation that Jesus' death on the cross was intended from the moment God spoke the universe into existence. And I just want to lay that down there because that's a conversation people often have and they'll say, well, it, was, it, was a, it just worked out. Jesus had said yes at the right time and it was the right circumstances and all those things are true, but it was God's perfect timing and it was his original plan. Jesus was not God's plan B. It wasn't like, well, they screwed it up, so I guess I got to do something else now. 
from the creation of the world, God intended his glory to be made known through his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross to pay for the sins of all men that God knew we would do. And there's some complication there, right? But I mean, he wasn't like, oh my gosh, when he goes in the garden, what happened, Adam? I mean, this, we, the, he knew. And he said, before he spoke the universe into existence, he knew. What does this matter? Because he knows now. You go, man, I'm a sinner. I'm trying to get it right. Yeah, he knows now. Before the creation world, he knew you were never going to get there on your own. So he gives us his son, the blood of the lamb, slain before the creation of the world so that from every generation and every tribe and every tongue and every nation, some might be saved. Talk about privilege these days. If, if you don't feel privileged to know Jesus Christ, you are doing it wrong. And I don't mean because you deserve it because you don't, right? We don't deserve it. But he has revealed himself to us from the creation of the world that our sin might be defeated, that the enemy might, mouth might be shut, that the accuser might be silenced and thrown down, and that we might be free. A people who have yet to hear might be free. The very next thing, he who has an ear, let him hear. That reminds me of the opening letters to the churches. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is a callback. Remember, hear it. This is a big story. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity, he will go. If you are to be killed with a sword, with a sword, you will be killed. There's an inevitability about God's purposes for our life, and we ought to recognize that. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of the saints. So what's funny enough, you know, John is being given all this revelation, but it's to, to be, it causes to endure, to not lose heart, not lose hope. All right, we're going to wrap here with the second beast then. Then I saw another beast coming out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, but he spoke like a dragon. He exercised all the authority of the first beast on his behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast. So now there's, you're going to worship, and in my analogy, it'll be Rome. You're going to worship Rome or you're going to die. Those fatal wounds, uh, the, the fatal wound that had been healed. And he performed great miraculous signs and even caused fire to come down from heaven to the earth in full view of men. Because of the signs he was given, the power to do on behalf of the first beast, he deceived the inhabitants of the earth, and he ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. He was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that it could, it could speak and cause all who refused what? To worship the image that he set up to be killed. You bow the knee or you die. He also forced everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on his right hand, on his forehead, so that no one could buy or sell unless he had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of his name. And we're going to wrap, well, I'll read it. This calls for wisdom. If anyone has insight, let him calculate the number of the beast for its man's number. His number is 666. Okay, so this is the conversation everyone would love to have, right? Well, who's this beast? What, what's this number? What's this mark, right? The earliest understanding of the book of Revelation at the time, I think it was Arrhenius, who was the first one to come up with this theory. And we've said this before, but in the first generation of Christians, there, were, there was so much evil in the world and so much persecution breaking out against the church that um, there was a, uh, a Caesar named Nero who would have infamously garden parties that he would light 
with the bodies of Christians. I don't think we have a category in our mind for that kind of evil, persecution. But you know, not to be weird, but you know, like, you imagine, I see in my neighborhood right now, it's beautiful weather out, I see these little tiki torches around people's patties, like, oh, that's so pretty. Can you imagine the level of human disgust you would have to have in your heart, the amount of hate that you would burn people in your garden party? It was like a, a famous thing. And, and, and if you're living under that kind of persecution, that kind of prosecution, that kind of torture, that kind of danger, you know one of the things about the early church was interesting was it was a secret society. <laughs> they believed the gospel, but they were, you know, they were like, they had like, you know, you ever seen that, that Ixus fish symbol? That goes all the way back to the first century. It said that they had rings. The other meet, they meet in catacombs. That was tombs. They would go, hey, we're going to have a meeting. You know, you have, you'd be in the market, you see the secret ring, you're like, oh, you're one of them. Christians, because you could die for being a Christian. Now, could be Nero. There's, a, uh, there's actually a, um, the earliest theory in this was that it was the way his name was written in Hebrew, and it would have been a code that people could not uh, deconstruct unless they knew Hebrew. So the Hebrews would automatically know, oh, this is, and I think it actually is pronounced Neron Kasser, which is uh, Caesar Nero. And uh, they would have known that that could have been it. But there's lots of funny numbers, things happening here, right? The 666. One of the most interesting I found is this, um, because that does add up in the Hebrew to that number, apparently. I can't tell you how the math is done, but that's the earliest first century thought on this, was that was Nero's name. Um, Each of those numbers is one short of perfection. We believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, right? He's totality from the beginning. And every one of those numbers, it's six, but not seven. Not seven seventh number, so it's not seven, seven, seven. It's six, six, six. You're just short. You want to be the father. You're just short. You want to be the son. You're just short. You want to be you're just, why? Because you don't have the power. You don't have the ability. I don't mean you. I mean Nero or any other ruler. Before we say, well, this is all the way back there. We don't have to worry about it. The, the persecution of the church is still happening, and the call to stand and not bow a knee to false gods and false idols is amongst us. So it, it's one of those things where it's before, it's now, it's coming. And there's no doubt that these persecutions could break out. And there's no doubt that we have the opportunity to stand and say, we're not perfect, but we know the God who is. Um, if we look at this and we say, well, I, don't, I was just telling somebody about some crazy stuff happening right now in our culture, and they're like, that's the mark of the beast, but it's not in the hand yet. That's just the head. And I'm like, yeah, well, I mean, there's this overall narrative, like, what's happening uh, is this fight between God's good purposes and our desire for what we want. It's like, you can't buy or sell in the marketplace. I mean, have you heard the stories? Well, if you got a certain belief they won't one of the things happening in family voucher right now is we're running something called stripe and they're not doing it yet i'm not i don't think they will but they could turn off our stripe ability you can't receive money anymore like what if this whole thing is this 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 big fight between what god says is my image and my value my purpose to this world and what the world says you're fighting over which is the stuff but here's the real question what if you and i are pursuing in our lives 
a false image, a false God. Not the one who made us, not the one who called us, not the one who formed us, not the one who's going to save us, but something else. And that's a harder thing because you're like, oh, you're with me. And you're like, I don't, I, no, I don't want to do that. But what if we are? So I would say, let this book stand as a warning. Let, this, let it stand as a warning that we ought to be on guard and ready, right? It's still happening. Um, I'm going to invite you to pray with me, but I want you to know that the victory is in the cross, already won. We sang those songs today, right? We raise a banner for all hell to hear. I mean, come on, right? Praise God. And so uh, if you don't know that victory, that's where you start the journey, is just going, I'm all in with Jesus. And I mean that. And I can tell you when I started this journey, I didn't know where we were going. I just knew I was going with Jesus. I didn't know why. I couldn't explain to my friends who were still atheists. I'm like, I, I don't know. I'm just going with Jesus. And, and maybe in your life, you were, at one point in your life, you're like, I'm going with Jesus. And then you've kind of just been like, where, you know, whatever you've been going in your life. You can be like, wait, I'm going to go to Jesus. I'm going to remember this. Or I'm going to reread this. I'm going to restudy this. Um, recommit is what we would say, right? And then we would have this future together. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for the work that you've done and the work that you're doing and the work that you will do. We thank you so much that we have the gift of your presence that indeed if it were not for the prompting of your Holy Spirit, we would not even uh, stop to look your way. That we would just be, you know, hell-bound, sinful people. And yet on our hell-bound, sinful path, you interceded with the power of your Holy Spirit and with the glory of your Son, Jesus Christ. And Father, for the, the work he did on the cross that we would be saved, we give you thanks and praise. We join the angels in singing praise to you. And with the work that you continue to do in sanctification and making your people holy and causing us to stand up. And Father, for the work you've done in the saints from the very beginning who have always believed that you would do what you said you're gonna do, that you always keep your promises, we give you thanks and praise. Father, we pray that you would draw those who feel far from you near to you, that you would let them know how close you truly are in their lives. And then, Father, for those who maybe are, are uh, you know, listening or in the room or watching and, and they think, yeah, but not me, I've been forgotten that your Holy Spirit, and Father, we, we want to be part of your kingdom work here, but we are not God. We cannot inter, in, intervene in people's hearts the way only you can. And so, Father, would you do the work that only you can do, and would you call them repentance would you call them home to join in those that are written in the book of life may you be glorified as you continue to do your work in this world and may your saints never lose hope for what we've been given in christ we pray in his name amen